The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missiodei.org. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the men and women that I get to serve with. Thank you for the kids that are filling out roles of service to make sure that the city of Cincinnati is aware that though we put Jesus on a cross and buried him in a tomb, death could not hold him. And he came up out of the grave and he offers life and hope to all of us who would put our trust in him. May that message go out this morning as it relates to money so that we don't trust money, we trust King Jesus. We ask this in his powerful name by the power of the spirit, amen. So if you go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, we're going to deal with Jesus in his teaching regarding money. And so while you're turning there or opening up your app to Luke chapter 18, uh, I want to bring you up to speed on some things that are happening in our culture. Many of you may be aware of this, and some of you may not, but this past week was the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What you may not know Uh, Well, let's start with what you might know. You might know that Martin Luther King uh, was very active in trying to bring equality to racial minorities. What you may not know is the reason he was in Memphis uh, 50 years ago. He was there because he also had an awareness that it wasn't just minorities that were being discriminated against, but there was the poor and the marginalized. And so he was there working to advocate for a group of people who were protesting just fighting for a meager raise in a community that was fighting to keep them from getting a raise. And while I was there, he was assassinated. Few things expose our hearts like the way that we treat money and we treat people in regards to money. And what Dr. Martin Luther King understood was that we can become very unchristian when it comes to the way that we use our money. We can use it to enslave people, We can use it to break apart relationships, or we can use it the way God intended to serve as a way of providing, protecting, blessing, and advancing the kingdom of heaven. Now, when it comes to Jesus and the teaching of money, in no less than 30% of his parables, he addresses the issue of finances or how we treat people that have them or don't have them. So this is a significant subject for Jesus. 30% of his time. So some of you are coming in like, oh, great. Here's another church talking about money. Why does the church talk about money so much? Because Jesus talked a lot about money. Because when it comes to the way that we relate to money, it becomes a powerful tool. A tool, as I said, to bless people, to advance the kingdom of heaven, or to rip apart relationships and lord over people. So that's what we're going to deal with. Now, we're going to be in the gospel according to Luke. And and Luke's gospel is an account of Jesus' life that really emphasizes Jesus' humanity. And so a subtitle for Luke's gospel might be like, The Man Who Was God. So he emphasizes Jesus' connection to his fellow human. And he talks an awful lot about money, almost as much as the gospel according to Matthew. Now, Matthew was written by a, a former tax collector. So Matthew says the most about money, but Jesus ties it into how we should deal with it as people. And what I want us to be exposed to is the reality of what 
One social commentator, a guy by the name of Will Rogers said, he said, too many people spend money that they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. And that's all of us, isn't it? We spend money we don't have to buy things we don't want to impress people we don't like. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the average American household has about over $7,000 worth of unprotected consumer debt. What that means is credit card debt. You spend like interest on things that you don't want to impress people you don't like, and you're spending it above your means. So this in a lot of ways affects most of us. $7,000 on average is about two months of salary. You're about two months behind what you can actually afford. And so when it comes to money, even today, we're still really struggling to get a grasp of it. So we're going to be in the gospel according to Luke, and here's what's happened up to this point. Jesus has been teaching, and people are, are really attracted to Jesus' teaching, so much so that they want their children to be blessed by his teaching. And, and children are being brought, and, and they're being blessed, and the disciples get bothered about it, and then Jesus lays down this statement. He says, Unless one receives the kingdom of God like one of these children, dependent, trusting, right, expecting somebody to do something for them, they can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. And immediately after he says that, we're introduced to the character of our story, which is the rich ruler. And he's going to be contrasted with a child who comes to God trusting. So let's read the story in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to actually pick it up in verse 18. Immediately after the words of uh, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it, verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Father, we ask that you would bless not only the reading, but the proclamation, the teaching, the application of your word for our joy, for your glory. Amen. There's two parts to this story. First part is this rich ruler that comes to Jesus, and he's asking the question, 
that might be good for kids to come to you dependent, but what do I need to do? Right? I've, I've worked really hard. I've been pretty good to people. And, and by and large, like as we read the story, there's no reason to believe that this man became wealthy by abusing people. Right? Jesus never corrects him for those things. So it's very likely that he gained his wealth either from an inheritance, and then he actually used it to bless people. So he asks Jesus, well, what do I need to do? Is there something different for me to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus responds to his question with a question. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. And so here's what, we've got to pause right there and ask the question, why does Jesus say that? Why is he asking that question? Is he trying to distinguish himself from God? Or is he trying to get at something deeper? And I believe, correctly, that Jesus is trying to get to something deeper. He's trying to point out that this man is trusting in something good, some way into heaven that bypasses a relationship with God. And here's why I believe this. He, he says there's no one good but God, and then he goes on to tell him how he must behave, like treat people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he spits out the commands, right? He says, you know the commands. You know the way you're supposed to respond. But if you're a first century Jewish person and you're listening to what Jesus is saying or you're familiar with the Bible, you should notice something about what Jesus says. He says, you know the commands. And then he lists off how many of them? Five. He lists off five. And I actually, in the first gathering, uh, made a comment that somebody came up to me and, and kind of pointed out it was something interesting that I, I, I didn't realize. There are four commands initially that deal with our relationship with God. There are six that deal with our relationship with things. He mentions five. He, he neglects one that has to do with coveting what other people have, and he, and he doesn't include the first four with, have to do with, with uh, what have to do with our relationship with God. And so what Jesus is doing He's trying to get it at the heart of this rich ruler. He, he recognizes that, that this man probably, even with his wealth that maybe he inherited, has actually used to bless other people. He, he's probably used it, he's probably gained it in very honest ways. He never corrects him for that. But what's happened is this ruler has put his trust in his wealth and his riches and not in a relationship with God. That's why he says, why, why are you calling me good? The only thing good is God. You need a relationship with God. That is what is most important. And so you know the commands. Be nice to people. And the guy says, yeah, I've done that since the day I was born. He doesn't use those words. He says, from my youth, I've honored these commands. I've done right by people. And Jesus looks at him and says, there's one thing you still lack. It's this relationship with God that is childlike and trusting where you don't trust in your wealth and in your riches or even the way you've treated people with them, but you have a right relationship with God. Jesus is striking at the heart of this man. He's striking at what motivates him. What does he put his trust in? It was the relationship with his money that he relied upon for his sense of purpose and joy and satisfaction. It wasn't a relationship with God. And Jesus is drawing attention to that. Because if we could summarize what Jesus is getting at, it would look like this. Money can be a God or a gift from God based on our heart's commitment 
to it. Money can be a God or a gift from God based on our heart's commitment to it. And this rich ruler went away sad. Why? Because he was extremely rich. He had a powerful false god that was not satisfying him. It wasn't bringing him joy. It wasn't bringing him pleasure. How do I know that? Because he's coming to Jesus asking, what else is there? What, what else do I need to do? There's got to be something so that I can have eternal life. Not just eternal in quantity, like the length of life, but eternal in quality. Something that's going to outlive me. The guy is asking for that. And so Jesus is saying, I'll give it to you, but you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give up your false, puny little God that doesn't have the power to save your soul. Now, I want to pause right there. Because here's what's going to happen in a moment like this. We're going to start reflecting. And too quickly, we're not going to consider our hearts. We're not going to consider the connection that our hearts have to the money that we have or the money that we don't have. We're very quickly going to get judgmental with what other people do with their money, with what we consider to be wealthy or what we consider to be poor. We're not going to take a look at our own hearts. And so before we even deal with that in the coming weeks... This morning, I want to focus in on our hearts. I want us to put our ourselves in the place of the rich ruler. Because the reality is, whether you have a lot or a little, your heart needs to be addressed on this issue. Some of us are like the ruler. Some of us are putting our trust in money. And what ends up happening is, like the ruler, some of us hoard our money. The rich ruler, he hoarded it. He was extremely rich. He gathered more and more and more of it with a desire that somehow he could buy his way in to the kingdom of heaven. And many of us are like that, right? And here's how I know. If Jesus came to you like he came to this ruler and he asked you the very specific question that he was asking this ruler, I don't know how you would respond. Some of us believe that everybody has to sell everything to be able to follow the kingdom of heaven. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. In this very specific instance, a man whose trust was in his money was asked to sell it all, to give it to the poor, and then to follow Jesus. But if Jesus asked you, how would you respond? Would you be willing to sell it all, to give it all up, so that you might be a blessing to people and be an advancer of God's kingdom. The rich young ruler was sad about that and seemingly unwilling to do it. And I'm convinced that the majority of us, it'd be the same thing. It'd be the same exact answer. Francis Bacon, a 16th century attorney general in England, once said this. He said, money is a great servant, but a bad master. Money is a great servant, but a bad master. And what he means by it is this. Money can be a gift of God to bless others and advance his kingdom, or it can rule over us. It can tear apart our relationships. It can cause us to be greedy and treat people like less than the image of God that they are. And I'm convinced that a majority of us, if asked to give up everything, would be willing to do it. I mean, some of us can't give up extra time to serve God's kingdom. And listen, I'm not the, I'm not the epitome of the example, but I've been faced with this question a, multiple, a multitude of times. On at least two occasions, the Lord showed up and he asked, are you willing to give up your income 
to sell your home, to move to a new place so that you can proclaim the gospel and let me do my work. And two times, the first time was to move to Asheville to, to, to establish Missouri Church in Asheville, North Carolina, a church that is still going because we were willing to give up everything. There was no guarantee that this was gonna last forever. Like I didn't move into a paid position. We gave it all up. And we said, yes, Lord, we're willing to do that. And God honored that, that, that commitment. Like I saw the reality of the promise of Jesus. Nobody who gives up wife or brother or house or whatever is not gonna have it returned to him in this life and in the life to come, right? So many of us are like, yeah, well, I'll do that if it gets me something to heaven. No, Jesus says that will happen in this life. And there's still a fruitful, growing church in Asheville, North Carolina because of the willingness of my wife to follow me in this calling of God to go proclaim the gospel in that city. And then as we were there and as things were becoming self-sustaining, he did it again. He showed up and he said, are you willing to give all of this up to go back to your hometown and do it all over? And I said, as long as you don't ask me again, right? <laughs> no, I said, I'm, I'm terrified, Lord, but I'll do it. And here we are. Two churches, 550 people showing up on Easter, hearing the gospel, not because there was a guarantee that this would be fruitful, but the hope that Jesus promised, if I don't put my trust in how I'm gonna earn my living and I'll trust in him to provide, he'll take care of it. And so we did it, right? My wife slowed me down a little bit because she's often the voice of reason and she was saying, hey, we just got this thing going. Are you sure you wanna do this? And I said, I'm not, but I think the Lord's calling us. And she said when, when she was good and she was on board, she felt the Lord's tug at her heart. We came and we're seeing the fruitfulness of it. So guys, it can happen. It can happen if we would not trust money as our safety net, but we would trust the Lord, that he would be our God and that money would not be. Money is a great servant, but it is a bad master. And many of us feel that crushing weight of money, don't we? I mean, we've overspent and we don't have freedom to pick up and do what God wants because we've let money rule us. We've let it rule us. Now, some of us, and I can fit into this camp as well, some of us don't hoard money. We overreact to the love of money. And so rather than hoard it, we hate it. And we very naively avoid it. We avoid stewarding it well. We think that we, it's like, we just become very irresponsible with our money. And so if I could call the hoarding of money the prosperity gospel, this empty promise that if you do things the right way, God will just keep blessing you with money. I would call the hatred of money or the avoidance of it the poverty gospel. And this is the idea that if I'm irresponsible with my money or if I'm somehow righteous because I don't have it or I avoid it, that God will bless me. It's a false gospel. And, and the one writer, his name is Oscar Wilde. He was a 19th century writer. He said this, and I think he's absolutely right. He said, there is only one class in the community that thinks more about money than the rich, and that is the poor, right? Many of us, we, we evaluate our relationship to God based on how much money we have or how much money we don't. But either way, we're like the rich man whose true savior is not God, but money, whether we have it or whether we don't. And I've fallen into that trap. Like I made foolish decisions, like pursuing suffering and poverty, thinking that it would somehow be a, a blessing in the kingdom of heaven. And it's not, it's an empty promise. In fact, I, I moved into a neighborhood in the city of Asheville um, so that I could live among the poor very foolishly. 
a lot of them looked at me and they were like, why would you do this? We don't wanna be here either. We're here because we're stuck here. For you to choose to be here, that's a silly thing, right? Why don't you help us figure out how to improve ourselves so that we don't feel so stuck here? So you can, you can trust in money and not in Jesus, whether you have it or whether you don't. And the hatred of money does not bring us any closer to God. And that's why Jesus kind of held out. You can rest your eternal destiny on how you treat people or the one thing that most of us lack is we can entrust it to a relationship with God, having no other gods before him. And Jesus, in teaching us this, gives us a freedom. It lets our hearts be unbound from its connection to money and to human resources. If Jesus asked you right now in this moment to give up everything you've got, to give to those who need it, would you be willing to do it? Some of you would say no because your heart is too desperately clinging to money. Some of you have said, would say, yes, I'm willing to do it because I don't have anything anyway, and so I'm better than those who have it. But ultimately, I want us to just kind of consider not what other people are doing, but what's going on in our hearts. And I hope that we would ask the question that those who listen to Jesus' teaching would ask, if this is the case with money, who can be saved? How, how can anybody be saved? And at that point, when our hearts start asking this question, that we are honest and we realize that if we have the money, we hoard it. If we don't have the money, we hate it. Who can be saved? We listen to what Jesus says. And what Jesus says is, with men, this is impossible. But with God, it's not. It is very difficult for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. But for those who trust in God, the impossible becomes possible. Why? Because Jesus becomes our substitute and he gave up everything that we might attain it. So when Jesus is confronted with this question, are you willing to give up the riches of heaven so that you can be a blessing and advance the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says yes and amen. And that's what he does. He gives up everything. And the night before he gave up his very life, he's praying in the garden, Lord, if there's any other way, let's make that happen. And he's met with silence to that prayer. And so he says, very faithfully, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And he gave up all of his possessions to the point of dying so that when he takes up his life again, he can offer power to powerless people. So at the end of the day, we lack the faith to do what God is calling us to do. But Jesus, because the tomb is empty, sustains us with that faith. And he teaches us this in Matthew chapter six. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We need Jesus' treasure to be our treasure. We need his life to be a substitute for our lives because what we actually do is we trust in human resources. We trust in money. And so here's what I wanna lay down as the big idea, the big point that hopefully will convict our hearts and, and draw attention there. I wanna make this statement. Belief is 
in human resources, trust in money, confidence in resources that you've attained, whether you've inherited them or you've earned them by working, belief in human resources is unbelief in God's resources. Jesus said you cannot love God and money. You will love one and hate the other. If your trust is in human things, you will hold them out before the Lord as though all, these are all the things you've done. And he will look at that and say, it won't satisfy you. It will not give you rest for your souls, but I will. So trust me. And that's the invitation that we have this morning, to believe in the resources of God, to believe that we will have all things restored to us, not just in some future heaven, as good as that will be, but he says you will have it in this time and in the time to come. So I want to invite you into that. I want the people of Missio Dei to feel free from the, the, the finances that so often bind us up. I want to invite us to put our trust in the eternal king who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You will always have what you need, even if it isn't everything that you want. We, we, we need good things from God, but we often go to him and we, we just ask him for things that we want. And like a good father, he will tell us no to the bad things and yes to the good things. I love that uh, Nikhil on the loop this morning said, uh, my peeps are in the trash and I hope yours are too, right? My peeps never made it, made it into my basket because I think those things are gross and nasty, but my kids love them. And if it was left to them, guess what they would ask for? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Peeps or chocolate or jelly beans or things that while they're nice and they're good treats aren't necessarily good for them. And like a father who loves them, sometimes I have to come in and say, no, this is not good for you. Let me give you something that is. And God is that good father. It's not that he doesn't want us to enjoy things, but he wants to give us what's good for us. And so if that's true, and if we can begin to like let the Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts, it's going to play out in a couple of ways. And I'm just going to give a flyover of where we're going over the next couple of weeks, because again, this morning I want us to deal with the issue of our hearts. I want us to really allow the Holy Spirit to, to penetrate our hearts and, and ask us what's motivating us to do what we do. But when he does a work in our heart, we're going to be able to address a couple of things. So here's what's coming over the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to deal with uh, point number one, which is when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and understanding money as a tool that is used to provide, to bless, and to advance the kingdom of heaven, we need to work for money and wait for it. We need to work for it and wait for it. That's what we're going to look at very practically next week. Because here's the reality most of us at age 20 want what our parents had at age 50, and we don't want to wait for it, and we don't want to work for it. We think it should just be handed to us because, hey, I finished college, right? And the reality is the college, college will prepare you to be a thoughtful human being, but it's not a guarantee that you're going to be paid to be a thoughtful human being. And all of God's people who went to college said, amen, right? It's going to prepare you. We need to be working, right? Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. You need to be working, but you also need to be waiting. So we're gonna deal with that next week. We're gonna deal with vocation and working, which is where you spend the majority of your time. So we're gonna hit that next week. And then two weeks from now, we're gonna talk about giving 
and generosity. Because when it comes to money as a tool, we need to give it away and we need to be generous. We need to be sacrificial with our giving. And so we're going to talk about how do we line up money so that we can be sacrificial and generous and use it not as a tool to hoard it for us, but as a blessing to give away to others to see the advance of God's kingdom. And then finally, in week number four, we're going to look at stewarding money and saving it. It doesn't mean you're hoarding it just because you're being wise with it. There's a lot of teaching from Jesus that talks about um, putting it away for a rainy day, growing money and interest. Like Jesus is pro working hard so that you can earn a lot of income so that you can take care of yourself, the people around you, and advance the kingdom of heaven. We're going to look at all of that, okay? We're going to look at it over the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about it. Are you? I'm convinced that at the end of the day, the church has just said, give me your money. Give it to me. Give it, give it, give it, give it. And they haven't taught people how to use it effectively, how to understand that work is a part of the kingdom of heaven. And that it is God's grace to us and a gift to advance the blessing of his people in many diverse ways. So here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna pray for us. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and they're gonna help us uh, in our time of worshipful response but I'm gonna lead us in a little bit different of a time of response this morning. Um, but I, before I pray, I just wanna close with this statement. We weren't created to be ruled by money. Some of us are this morning, whether we have it or whether we don't. You weren't created to be ruled by money. But Jesus is the one who gives us freedom to use his money as a tool to sustain life, to bless others, and to advance the kingdom of heaven but you have to deal with your own heart this morning, and it's trust. Will you trust God this morning, or are you trusting in money continually? Let's pray. Father, we need your grace to change our hearts. We need your grace to release us from the death grip that money has on us, from the trust in which we place it. Free us from it. Help us to trust the true and the living God who who promises to provide everything that we need. Not always what we want, but definitely what we need. We need you to release us from the bondage to money so that we don't hoard it or naively hate it, but to honor you with it and to bless others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.